Celebrating the connection with our pets, this is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. We have a killer show for you today. Doc Halligan will be here. <laughs> You're snoring. That's snoring. <laughs> snoring. Sorry. Uh, who's that over there? Lucy and Roro. Lu- yeah. And it, who does the, the more snoring? No, Lucy. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Lucy. So if you hear that during the show, it's uh, not me or anybody else. In the- <laughs> or me. Yeah. There you go. We have Doc Halligan joining us today to talk about the never-ending controversy over pet food and uh, what kind of pet food to get, the expensive food, the cheap food, what to look for on the labels, what not to look for on the labels. Also, Dr. Marty Becker is back with things that vets know but owners don't worry enough about. Things that vets mm-hmm. know but owners... They worry too little about those things. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm still not making It's kind of like they go to bed at night and say, gee, I wish my patients would look at this more often. Oh, yeah. So Dr. Becker's going to tell us the things that we need to worry about that we should start worrying about more? Yes, we need to worry more. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's on the way right here. Well, I think this will be a perfect topper for all these healthy topics that we're talking about. We're going to talk about the new list of the healthiest dogs. There's actually seven breeds of dogs that have no major or minor health complications at all associated with the breed. Really? Wow. That's amazing. I know. I'm a bulldog owner. Ask me. I know. Yeah, you're this the opposite incredible. end. <laughs> yeah, bulldogs yeah. got to be one of the uh, more high-maintenance <laughs> animals. Yes, they are. Hi, Victoria. Welcome to Animal Radio. Well, um, thank you for taking my question today. I'm a first-time listener to your um, wow. segment on 94.7 today. That's, um, that's so the second I, second new listener. We should have yay. like some kind of fanfare or something like that. Second new listener. Well, welcome. <laughs> oh, thank a, you, and I do appreciate it because I have a question that I've had a concern about for not quite the last year, but I have a Siamese cat that's over 15 years old. Mm-hmm. And my concern was that she's not using her litter box <laughs> any longer. Okay, and for either peeing yeah, or pooping? Yeah, that's never happened. She's been very clean and, um, you know, she knows she's doing it. <laughs> not in the litter box. And I can't understand why. Okay. Now, um, has the kitty cat been to the veterinarian anytime recently as far as like checking our health status? Uh, no, no. Actually, I inherited this cat. My father passed on, and so it's his cat, although she's familiar with the whole family, and um, so I know the history of the animal. But no, I haven't recently, and she's very healthy. So I don't know what it is. I have actually another cat as well that's younger. They have separate litter boxes. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're kept clean, you know, and they're kept in a private, separate area. So Okay. Well, I can tell you, I can guarantee you there's something wrong. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that to startle you or freak you out in any way. But for a cat that's had a normal pattern of avoiding behavior and then all of a sudden stops using the box, there's a couple things that come to the forefront of my concern list. Um, number one is arthritis. Number two is arthritis. And number three is arthritis. Uh-huh. Um, I... And today, you know, I, I even had a very lengthy discussion with a client today who was kind of 
arguing the fact that her cat wasn't in pain because she didn't cry out. And what we have to really look back and, and recognize is cats are not dogs and cats are not people. So we may complain and moan and carry on and tell our loved ones when we've got a headache or something's hurting us, but cats really don't do that. It just doesn't do them any good. They may change in their patterns of behavior. And one of the common things that we can see with low-grade chronic pain is the avoidance of the litter box. And, um, you know, whether or not she recognizes it and knows that she's not using the litter box, it may not be even a concern of hers. Hers is if, if she's in pain, she doesn't feel like crawling into the litter pan. She may not feel like making those movements or even scratching. So in many cases with older kitties, there's a couple steps litter pan-wise I will do. Number one is, um, you know, definitely see your veterinarian. Make sure she does have a good health exam. We rule out other health problems that could be going on. Um, other things medically, diabetes, kidney problems, um, any other concerns. But I would want to see about getting her on some arthritis remedies. So we can use things like glucosamine in cats, and we can use some different injection products. Um, there's one called Adequan that can be used to help control arthritic pain. We can't use a lot of the routine pain remedies you use for people or dogs. So no, no over-the-counter pain remedies for cats without direction. Um, but sometimes addressing the arthritic pain on a, on a medication level can be very helpful in making them more comfortable and restoring them back to some of their normal behaviors. But in the meantime, I would also do some changes in the litter pan itself. Um, I will oftentimes cut the litter pan edges down in half, or sometimes you can actually go to the store and buy under uh, bed storage boxes, which have a lower edge and use that as an alternative for the litter box. Um, that way they don't have to step up and go into something. Um, that can make it very useful. Now, some other things for an old cat when they're not using the box that I'll look at is, you know, there could be some vision problems. So, you know, that hopefully would be picked up on a physical exam with your doctor. Um, but also, I found that adding a nightlight to the litter box region can be very helpful for some senior cats. They're not going to complain and say, hey, mom, I don't see. But that little step can sometimes help them feel more comfortable and confident in finding their way to the litter box. And then we do even see some senility problems in cats. And, um, you know, that can be a loss of house training um, in dogs. And we can see the same thing in cats as part of the kind of a deterioration of what they would recognize as their normal behaviors. Um, so that might be something also to talk to your veterinarian about whether that might fit into her uh, her category there. But um, I, I would definitely say we've got a lot of possible remedies we can try. And uh, and you said there, there's two boxes in this house right now? Luckily, they're in the garage, and the cat door leads into the garage, and there's just two small steps. Um, okay. But if it's... Um, if it can affect the cat in the way that you explained, mm -hmm. you know, that could be really big for her, you know. Yeah. It, Something yeah, as simple so. as, yeah, putting a, a litter box on the same even level that um, the kitty spends most of her time or in another part of the house so that we don't have to walk across a whole house to, to find the litter uh, source. You know, that seems easy to us, but, you know, if, if we do have some health problems, making it convenient can really make the difference here. Right. I understand. Sounds, yeah. Sounds like a good plan. <laughs> we wish you the best of luck with that, and thank you for thank listening. You. Hey, Bertha, welcome to Animal Radio. Thank you. I have Dr. Debbie right here. What's going on with your pet? Oh, uh, Daisy has fleas. She picked, ah. up, she picked them up over the winter, and I just can't. I'm at my wit's end. I can't get rid of them. 
All right. Where are you at? What what part of the country? We're in northern Wisconsin. Okay. Hey, I was just up in that area, up in the Krivitz area. Oh, okay. We're a little further north than that. We're right up by Lake Superior. Oh, oh. wonderful. Yeah, I had a great time with those cheese curds and, <laughs> and beer, of course. Yeah. <laughs> So, yes, yeah, so fleas. Okay, so are, are you battling that with any kind of products? She's on Frontline Plus. Are you having any success or any issues well, with that? Well, what happened is we spent the winter in southern Texas where it was warm, and she picked them up there, and I started her on Frontline there, and we thought she was flea-free when we came home, and then they just reappeared. I took her I took her to, the vet, to my vet here at home, and... Um, they gave me some new front line and um, kind of, you know, told me to go home and use it. And But that's been two months now, and she's still, um, I comb fleas off her every day. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, there's there's definitely some talk out in the veterinary world, and a lot of different sides will debate whether or not we're seeing any particular resistance of fleas to some of the common uh, flea and tick products out there. So, um, you know, again, it, it, there's some debate out there. But for any pet, I see that if we're having, if we're using flea control products, and we're very comfortable that that's being used appropriately, meaning on the, the right time, frequency, and we're sure that the pet is getting the medication appropriately, if we're still seeing fleas after two months, for me, I think it's time to look at another product. Um, whether or not it's flea resistance or some other factors, we have other um, environmental issues, uh, you know, reinfestation from the environment. Um, but still, I'm a little superstitious, and I might look at trying another product. Um, so as far as um, you know, fleas, uh, ticks, all that type of thing, I'm I'm actually a fan of using Advantage in Ad- Advantix too. Um, same kind of topical type thing. You might give that a whirl, see if that gives your your pet a little bit more relief. Um, and uh, you know, really, it's just kind of a matter of uh, making sure that you're also staying up with things like the flea combing, vacuuming that environment, and um, being very diligent and making sure we're treating all the pets in the household so that if you've got any cats, uh, rabbits, uh, ferrets, um, that we need to make sure we're treating anyone that might be a reservoir for the fleas inside the home. Um, and this doesn't mean, sorry, that's my puppy trying to play with my microphone. Um, hazard of the job here with the puppy on my lap. Um, uh, but yeah, so we want to make sure we do treat everybody in the household there. Okay, we we have no other pets, and I, I have been vacuuming and washing the bedding because she jumps up on the bed and sleeps with us, and... Ah. Yeah, it's frustrating. It's a battle. And, um, you know, that's why I think the Lord that I live in Las Vegas because we have very few fleas. Because we know one flea could actually lead up to 600 offspring within just one month's time. Oh, so they yeah. really have this ability to just exponentially uh, reproduce in the environment. And they're they're tough little boogers they can jump a hundred times their height so you know eight to ten feet off the pet um, is very easy and doable in their environment so you know we're battling some really tough little critters it's kind of like the cockroaches in like the big cities you know you can't get rid of them (laughs) so you do your best um, so but you might try some of those other products and see if that does you some better good okay can i get the advantage at my local pet store or 
Yeah, usually you can find that. Now, what I often recommend is to work with your veterinarian, especially if you are changing from one product to another. There are some um, precautions we might have, especially with products like Advantage and uh, Advantix. They're only for dogs, so we don't want to be using those on kitties. There's kitty-specific ones. Um, and we also want to make sure we're not doubling up and repeating uh, medication from what you just gave. So I would do that first with your veterinarian's um, guidance and make sure that we're not uh, not overdoing it for your baby at this point. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you so much, Bertha, and good luck with those fleas. Uh-oh. And then have some curds for me. I'm missing them already. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do that. Thank you. Do you travel with your dog? Of course. My pets are part of our family. Me too. I take Daisy with me everywhere. Right, Daisy? So how do you find out what hotels welcome your dog? I read Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Sounds perfect for planning our next vacation. Right, Daisy? It is. Their motto is leave no dog behind, and they have great hotel and destination reviews. Where can I find the magazine? Go online to FidoFriendly.com. I will for sure. Come on, Daisy. We're off to find our next adventure. Check out Animal Radio Highlights. All the good stuff without the blah, blah, blah. Browse on over to AnimalRadio.pet. Hi, Brad. How are you? Hi, good. You're on with Dr. Debbie. Hi, Dr. Debbie. Well, hi. How are you today? We have a uh, yellow lab. Uh, he'll be two years old in December, and uh, uh-huh. he's eating his own stool. Every morning we'll let him out. You know, he goes to the bathroom before he eats, and when he gets done eating, he'll run right back out and eat the pile. Maybe he's into recycling or just trying to save <laughs> you some money. Yeah. I'm, I'm worried about, you know, is that sanitary if he comes back in, he licks you or whatever, you know, I mean... Well, I mean, it's basically a really nasty habit. So, um, but there could be some concerns if, yes, if he's eating his feces and then he's coming over and kissing you in the face, there's the potential for passing um, parasites to people that way. Um, I'd say the first thing we'd want to really work on is some of the motivation for why dogs do this. And it's a great question because we always think that it's a distasteful thing, but dog poop, for some reason, is immensely attractive to dogs to eat. It comes from a, like a basic habit that they pick up from their mom when they're little. Um, so we want to intervene with that and try to not make it a game. So if you catch them in the act, we're not going to necessarily make a big deal about it and try to um, correct him. We're going to try to redirect that behavior and that attention to something else. So we want to pick up the poop right away. Um, and you also want to um, try to limit his time outside. When he's outdoors, you want to keep him under close observation. So keep him on a leash. Um, keep him close and supervise that potty activity. Some folks have some good results with things like um, cayenne pepper um, or dressing the stool with something really foul-tasting, as if poop he didn't think <laughs> tasted bad enough. Those things may help for some pets. Um, but for others, I'll actually use products called uh, Forbid, Deter. They're basically types of um, supplements that you put into the pet's food that imparts a bad taste to the poop as it comes out the back way. So um, those are very useful. Um, you just have to be vigilant about that. Um, but really, the big thing is when you catch him in the act, we're not going to yell at him because he's okay. going to pick up that turd and uh, run the other way with it, and it's going to uh, become a huge game. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to turn it into but, a game. Okay. Exactly. We don't want that. And then also want to make sure that you've got, Brad, that you've got your baby on a good deworming program. Um, so if he's not already on a monthly heartworm preventative that has a deworming in it, you want to um, make sure he's getting that done because anytime we have this behavior and they're ingesting fecal matter, that's um, a potential for that cycle to continue. Okay. 
Well, this portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by Fear Free Happy Homes. Don't forget you can get your fix of Animal Radio anytime you want with the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It's made possible by Fear Free Happy Homes. Helping your pets live their happiest, healthiest, fullest lives at home, at the vet, and everywhere in between. Visit them at fearfreehappyhomes.com. And thanks, Fear Free, for underwriting Animal Radio. Alan Cable, welcome to another mess. Let's start it off right with your beer news watch. Beer for dogs? We plan on getting a Rottweiler. Well, any bet will tell you, dogs should never be given beer. Their livers don't metabolize alcohol the same way we do. And things like hops can hurt many dogs. It's sad that dogs up until this point couldn't enjoy beer, but a company called Wolf and Brew released a beer specifically for dogs. Are you ready to enjoy one with your dog? I'm just in my boxers right now. <laughs> this stuff has no alcohol or hops or carbonation. It's easy and safe for dogs to digest. So now you can share a beer with your best buddy. Line one. Hi, Max. How are you doing? Hi, it's Mac, MAC. Oh, Mac, how are you doing today? Wonderful, thank you. Where are you? Uh, Tampa, Florida. What's going on with your pets today? What kind of pets do you have? Well, I've got two birds, one cockatiel and one lovebird. Hmm. And they seem to be loving the wooden play toys they have and the wooden cage that I've got them in. They seem to be chewing that as opposed to their cuddle bone or or mm. any other thing to keep their beak sharp. Hmm. Now, what if this is normal? Well, yeah. As far as um, for birds, they will pretty much chew on anything given the opportunity. And and I would be a little cautious if they are in a wood cage. It's probably not my first choice because of the durability component because they are going to chew on that. Um, it's in their immediate environment. And it's given them an outlet, but it may not be the most secure because of that chewing. <laughs> so um, I would definitely go with a, like a non-painted uh, galvanized steel and make sure stick with that, something like that. Um, but okay. the actual process of chewing... Chewing wood isn't necessarily, you know, detrimental. We just try to direct that in another way. Uh, well, what do you got, have these guys eating? Uh, just regular bird field by hearts. Um, a bird seed con- um, right, product? Yeah, right, Because um, for a lot of birds um, that are fed seed diets, um, we're actually led to believe by pet stores that that's the right diet for birds. And it's actually very deficient in nutrients. Um, so I like to see trying to get birds over onto a pelleted diet. And uh, have you ever seen those at the pet store? No, I have not. Okay, pelleted diets kind of look like um, kind of like a tutti frutti um, collars. Um, it's basically a processed food that is has all of the nutrients that these guys need. But mm-hmm. when you put it right next to a dish that where they have seed. They're not really interested in it, and birds will always go to the seed first. Um, so um, that's definitely my preference for birds is to go to a pelleted diet, and it takes a lot of work to get them switched over. Okay. Do they spend much time outside of the cage? I have them out of the cage about uh, once a week for about an hour, two hours a time. Okay. Because, um, you know, the more activity, the more interaction they have, then also that kind of takes away some of that um that chewing and destructive tendency, um, if they're out kind of socializing, vocalizing when you're around, um, then that helps to keep them mentally stimulated and, you know, not so uh, bored and, and kind of chewing their surroundings. You know, I think keeping them engaged, entertained, and then maybe making them work for their food. And there's actually a process that we call um, the foraging technique in birds. And it's basically kind of retraining birds to not eat out of seed cups, but to pick off the bottom of the cage. And we can kind of train them over to eating things like, like um, pelleted foods 
and it can be um, you know good for them nutritionally, and it's a little bit more uh, enriching for them. Uh, so they're not uh, you know sitting there getting the food just poured to them. They actually right. have to work for it. So yeah, try that. Okay. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. How would you like to save money on nearly all your prescription drugs? We've set up a special toll-free number for the RX Outreach Program. They're a nonprofit company whose mission it is to make prescription drugs more affordable to the masses. They don't take insurance, and in many cases, your prescriptions are even cheaper than your co-pays. They carry thousands of different prescription drugs, so whatever you're taking, there's a good chance they have it. No coupons are required, and this is not a discount card. It is pure savings on your prescription drugs. They specialize in generic meds for any chronic health needs you have. Call with your prescription and find out for free how little you can pay for your prescription drugs. Remember, we don't take insurance, so call right now. 800-689-0143. That's 800-689-0143. Hi, this is Dr. Paul on Animal Radio. Take care of the pets and make sure that in these hot days that they get in lots of water and don't tie them outside in the sun because then they get a heat stroke. So the pets are all part of your life and make them welcome in your life. And once you do that, they will reward you with a lot of love. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Lori Brooks. There's a new study out that suggests that family pets might be reservoirs for MRSA. I thought this was pretty shocking. It's research from the University of Missouri-Columbia veterinarians. They found that in 1974, MRSA infections accounted for just 2% of the total number of staph infections in America. Well, then by 2004, 30 years later, that number soared from 2% to 63%. These researchers believe that pets might be an important factor behind the increase. So now they're studying all kinds of bacterial samples from about 800 pairs of owners and their pets. And then they sort those into three groups, human health care workers and pets, veterinary health care workers and pets, and then they'll compare those against non-health care professionals and their pets. The famous Battersea Dogs and Cats Home for Strays over in the UK is accusing people of pretending their pets are strays so that the rescue center will look after them while they go away on vacation. Can you believe this? The center's intake coordinator says some pet owners are actually upfront about their wishes, not embarrassed at all while they ditch their pets to go on vacation, while others that they know who do this, they blatantly bring in a supposedly strayed dog or cat, and then a week later they send someone else to come back in and claim it. Well, cats may not be solitary creatures after all. A survey of U.S. veterinarians found that animal experts believe many cats are lonely. That's 
survey actually done several years ago, but was just recently republished on social media making the rounds. It was conducted by Arm and Hammer. It found that nearly 90% of veterinarians believe that cats prefer to live in the company of other cats. And the majority of vets believe that social isolation of many cats is in fact becoming a major cause of behavior problems in today's domesticated cats. The answer, according to a board certified veterinary behaviorist, that she now recommends multiple cat ownership and encourages multiple cat adoptions. That would mean seeing less kittens in shelters, and we like that. I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime you need it at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. Hi, this is Judith Chapman from Young and the Restless at CBS, and I'm on Animal Radio right now, and I'm asking everyone out there to please spay and neuter your pets. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It's time for another Lucy Pet segment on Animal Radio with our good friend Doc Halligan. And this week, a, a topic that's near and dear to our hearts. In fact, I just got a call about this this morning. A guy calls in. He says, I'm feeding my dog Old Roy dog food. Can I supplement it with Dynavite? And of course, to me, that's a crazy question. Because first of all, I don't think you need any of those supplements, those crazy supplements like Dynavite, if you have a food that provides all the nutrition in the first place. You're 100% correct. Uh, If you look at the ingredients on the packaging, it will tell you what's in it in the order uh, that is the highest amount. So my suspicion is it's not uh, uh, protein, animal protein, as the first two or three ingredients, which it should be. Because in order to sell it so cheap, what they use for their protein source, they use uh, vegetables or byproducts. And you know, do you know, do you guys know, J- Joey? What do you think a, an animal byproduct is? An animal byproduct, um, I would, I would say, um, any part of the animal, bone it's meal, right. chicken, whatever. No, I mean, just, you just guys, part of the animal. The, it's the feet, the lips, the, lips. the eyes. It's a hot All dog. that stuff. Uh, it's a, well, I don't know if that's that bad on hot dog, but it is everything but the protein. When they would kill an animal in the wild, they would eat, you know, the, the meat and they, they eviscerate it. They don't eat all that other, you know, feet because there's no nutritive value for them and it probably doesn't even taste good chomping on chicken feet. So what so should we be looking for, though? Byproducts. You should, okay. Stay away from the byproducts. Yes. And remember, the first two or three ingredients should be some type of animal protein, like chicken, beef, fish, lamb, or turkey. It should not be a byproduct, the leftover parts, or it shouldn't be grain, and it shouldn't be a vegetable. What about meal? I see meal. Meal is okay. Meal is is okay. That's just like the dehydrated part. So meal is okay, but it's not as good as if it just says chicken chicken meal is not as concentrated as just chicken what about uh, all these uh, grain-free diets does that mean anything should we be looking for grain-free diets or is that only indicated for animals that might be allergic to other diets yeah should they have grains do they need grains cats do not need grains because cats are true carnivores so they don't need grains you know, there's all this um, talk about how dogs shouldn't eat grains, but 
really, grains are okay. Dogs are omnivores, so they can eat grain. Um, and, and in fact, everything's coming in that's, you know, overweight because they're doing the grain free. Now, if your pet has allergies to wheat and stuff, then you should do the grain free. But I don't think if there's grains in it that that's a bad thing. Um, so I think that it's okay to have grain in it. I know, I don't know how that became such a big catchphrase. I think because, you know, they tout these working dogs and they need this. Well, a lot of work for them is just walking over to the food bowl. I mean, they're not really <laughs> right. Think about, well, I guess I gotta get up and walk over the food bowl. Oh, eat my so grain free. Me- <laughs> Go back to the couch. Let me ask you a question. So, the, going back to what what the what the gentleman's question was, old Roy and, and Dynavite. So, would you say that's the equivalent of eating Twinkies and taking your vitamins, more or less? What a great analogy! Okay, Absolutely. Kind of, kind, that, kind that of what is... I, and it, it's funny because I'm sure Dynavite isn't. I mean, I've never heard of it, but I'm sure it's not cheap. Usually, pet supplements aren't. So, why would you want to buy a cheap food and and buy a, a supplement that's probably on the pricey side? Yeah, wow. just go and you for the really good sh- food in the first place. You Correct. should not have to supplement, you know, your food. If it's if you're feeding high quality food, you shouldn't have to supplement. I think people don't understand, okay, they're always looking at the price, right? Okay, if I ate Jack in the Box and McDonald's and cheap food and Twinkies, I would have health problems more than I do if I'm eating a healthy diet. And I try to explain that to pet owners. If you feed a high-quality diet, your pet doesn't need to eat as much. They don't poop as much. They don't have as many medical problems. And it'd probably be good to do a study because I'll tell you, pound for pound and dollar for dollar, it pays to feed a high-quality food, even if you have to pay a little bit more. Does high-quality, does does high something that costs a lot, does that mean high-quality? I mean... Not it, necessarily. You can look at the packaging to tell if the product is high quality or not. Well, you know what? You can pay now or pay later. If you don't feed yeah. your dog a healthy food, it's going to have vet bills. You're going to have lots of problems. You're going to end up paying in the long run. Says day. the lady whose cat lived 15 years on Friskies. <laughs> well, that was 20 years ago, so I wouldn't do that You today. really didn't have too many options then. No, yeah, you sure yeah, didn't. But you know, what, you know what's cat- funny is, is you have to read the label, I found out, because so much now goes into marketing as well that when, when you think that you're buying some something that's really good for your pet because you're paying a little bit more money and then you actually look at you know what's in it and it's everything that that doc just was talking about you know the uningredients the things that shouldn't be in it so the food from one company or what seems to be one company is actually owned by the same company from another food in other words there are a lot of different brands of food that's all owned by nestle mars or, or one single company does that mean it's all coming from the same place and it's all really the same food, just with a different name? Well, they manufacture the foods in the same plants. That's what is not known to most consumers, that a lot of it's all made. There's only a handful of plants that manufacture food, and there is no such thing as human grade. Joey said the minute you take a human grade and you put it in a pet food plant, it's not human grade anymore. That's rubbish. It, it might look pretty in great packaging, but you got to read the label. That one even has a preservative that's questionable. Um, I think it has propylene glycol you don't want to have controversial additives as preservatives these are bht ethoxyquin bha and propylene glycol that is in benefil 
And yet people just feed it like crazy, even though there's dogs that have died from eating it. There you go. Okay, a lot to cover right there. Doc Halligan from the Lucy Pet Foundation. Visit the Lucy Pet Foundation at lucypetfoundation.org. And of course, links to everything you've heard on today's show over at animalradio.com. Dogs or cats, horse or emu, animals are people too. A Scottish woman credits a head-butting cow with saving her life. Sarah Kerr had been feeling some indigestion for a while, but it wasn't until a cow butted her in the stomach that she sought an examination, which revealed she had cervical cancer. Doctors reported that without the examination, the disease would have likely spread to a dangerous level. Kerr, who works as an agricultural expert, was quoted as saying, If it hadn't been for that accident with the cow, I don't know what would have happened. I'm Britt Savage for Animal Radio. Animals are people too. Animal Radio. Life can be full of risks. One thing you shouldn't take a risk with ever is your family's health insurance. If you're self-employed or you now need affordable health insurance, you need to make this free call right now and see how the Health Insurance Helpline can help you get it. 800-472-0658-800-472-0658-800-472-0658. That's 800-472-0658. This is Animal Radio, baby. Dr. Debbie, you want to take another call? I sure do. Okay, I have four calls lined up. Which one do you want to go to? Which one? I'll let you pick. Hi, Hi, Wayne. I'm ready. Hi. How are you doing? Oh, okay. I was wondering if you guys can help me out. We'll try. All right. We'll try our best. <laughs> okay, I have what a, you got a house going on? with four cats, and they're all female, and they are all spayed, and they're all adult. And one of the cats has a problem not using the litter box. Uh, At one time, we didn't have a problem, and this just developed over time, and we need to know how to get her to go back in the litter box. Hmm, Okay, so tell me about your kitty uh, toilet situation. What kind of environment do you have? (laughs) Are there magazines? Um, (laughs) What do you mean? How many litter boxes? What kind of litter you use? We have uh, four litter boxes. Uh, we have different types because we have uh, different cats and different personalities. We Good. have one that's enclosed, so if a cat wants privacy, they can have that. And that's in a room by itself. And then we have three uh, litter boxes in a unused bathroom. Two of them are, like, jumbo-sized. So we have four litter boxes total. And um, we use uh, multi-cat cat litter. And that's a clumper, clumping yes, litter. And are your kitties indoors? Always indoors. Okay. And is there any one particular litter box that's the uh, problem where this is happening, or is it happening at any site? The cat has gotten to the point where she will. Um, at one time, she was using the litter boxes without a problem. In fact, and and this may have introduced some confusion to her. A couple years ago, we tried to toilet train the cat. But she was the only one that was starting to make progress, and the other cats were not making any progress, and it was just too much to keep up with uh, four cats. So we said, okay, we'll quit with the toilet training, and we'll just go with straight litter. You know, if we had less cats, we could could do it. Um, So at one time, she was using the litter all the time. 
we noticed, I don't know, a couple months back that she would urinate in the box and saw her literally finish urinating, jump out, go one foot away, and then defecate right on the floor by the litter box. Okay. Like there was an aversion to it. Okay. And it's like, okay, well, maybe we just need to keep it cleaner more often. We kept up with that as much as we could. Then mm-hmm. it gets to the point where now we're catching her not even urinating in the litter box. She's found a favorite site for that now. Okay. And where where is she going right now for both her peeing and pooping? Well, for the pooping, she's, she still goes in the same spot, not a foot away from the litter box. Okay. And for the peeing, she started going about four feet away into a sunken living room on the carpeting. All right. Now, this is going to be a very unusual situation because I'm going to kind of direct you down the, the path of diagnosis very quickly. With cats, there's usually a lot of different factors that affect their litter box use, and they can have a, a substrate preference or an aversion. Uh, they can have problems with the tidiness of the litter box. They can have pain that exhibited once they weren't when in, when they were in the litter pan and have problems with that memory. Um, and then there's the multi-cat, the um, anxiety and aggression component of things. So getting to the, the root of things, if I have a kitty that is doing their duty, especially if it's both peeing and pooping, close to the box but not in it, I'm going to gear my efforts on the litter box environment. To me, that screams um, either an aversion or there's a preference that we're not meeting to her her satisfaction. So that kind of puts the behavioral, the uh, the anxiety-driven problems a little bit on the back burner. Not that it's impossible. But I'd say we really need to focus on this litter box environment. And when you did say that she was um, taking to the toilet training, you know, it is completely possible that could be her preference. Um, but, yes, yeah, so I would say that changing either the litter substrate, um, the litter type, um, or going back and providing a, the toilet training source for her is going to be very important. Definitely, especially with her doing this right outside of the box, that is a, a very big thing. And and for kitties that are very fastidious and that are very uh, particular about that litter pan, they too will usually go right outside the box, which is different than a marking behavior or seeking a preference to a different location. It's like they want to go, but they're just they just can't do it. They just don't like it that much, uh, Dad. So I just would rather really not use it. So I'll just go right here, and I'll, I'll try to do the best I can. <laughs> right. So, um, and, and I think you're doing fairly good with the number of litter boxes. Usually the general rule is one more box than the number of cats you have in the house. Um, and at four boxes, you're doing a fairly good job of offering different sources, uh, sites, and different variations and things. Um, and just one other tip that I would say is that litter box uh, size is a very important, and you mentioned you have some jumbo size. With cats, we want that to be about um, one and a half times the length of the kitty so that we have ample room to turn around because um, that can also create some aversions. If it's not quite big enough, um, they don't have enough room. And most cats don't like the cover on the litter box. They really don't care about the privacy thing. Um, they they will go w- with us watching or what have you. So I usually to say take off all the covers on litter boxes if we're having issues. Um, so, And then the other things you might look at, litter box location sometimes to us is very uh, routine. We put them in uh, laundry rooms, bathrooms, but sometimes the little things can be annoying to cats. The vibration of the sounds of your wash machine, um, something that falls off a shelf and hits a cat when they had a, a litter pan problem. I had a client who that happened to, a laundry bucket fell on the cat's head and they didn't want to go back to that room to urinate. 
um, and other things in that area. So a noisy alarm, um, dogs barking, children, things like that that can really make them aversion to that litter box area. I think there's hope there, Wayne, but uh, you might have to pull out that old uh, toilet setup for your baby. <laughs> I'm curious about teaching your cat to use the toilet, and I, I guess that'd be a good thing, <laughs> except in, in the middle of the night if you put the toilet seat down when you came in or something. I mean, that I already have enough trouble with my Ooh. wife telling me which where to put that toilet seat, you know? <laughs> hey, the cat's in the bathroom. Hurry up. I need to get in there. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. How would you like to save money on nearly all your prescription drugs? We've set up a special toll-free number for the RX Outreach Program. They're a nonprofit company whose mission it is to make prescription drugs more affordable to the masses. They don't take insurance, and in many cases, your prescriptions are even cheaper than your co-pays. They carry thousands of different prescription drugs, so whatever you're taking, there's a good chance they have it. No coupons are required, and this is not a discount card. It is pure savings on your prescription drugs. They specialize in generic meds for any chronic health needs you have. Call with your prescription and find out for free how little you can pay for your prescription drugs. Remember, we don't take insurance, so call right now. 800-689-0143-800-689-0143-800-689-0143. That's 800-689-0143. Celebrating the connection with our pets. This is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. Oh, yes. Well, welcome. Lori, what are you working on over there in the newsroom? I found this story I thought was so funny. Uh, it's about pets that destroy electronic devices and, oh, and yeah. how often they do it. And who is more likely, the male or the female pet? to go after the remote and the cell phone and everything else that is electronic. Oh. I can guess. Really? You, you might be wrong. You I might, might be. be. Wrong. I am 50-50. That's on I the way. we women will be right on this one, Hal. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Becker is going to be joining us in a few minutes. His topic says, well, at least this is what's on the whiteboard, it says, things vets know owners worry too little about. So, Dr. Debbie, I'm sure that there are plenty of things that you wish that uh, your clients worried more about absolutely yeah i'm formulating my own list so i'm gonna like interject <laughs> if he doesn't hit all my high points <laughs> well what are what are some of the basic things that you think he's going to hit on probably like dental work huh dental work and i think obesity definitely uh, those are some of the biggest things and obesity ties into physical activity so a lot of people think like their dog oh my dog runs around the backyard playing with his fellow dog and it's not consistent aerobic activity you gotta you gotta get them out walking and you gotta get them out running and it's a big difference between just kind of playing in the backyard you dread going to the vet judy because of ladybug the studio stunt dog always chews me out a little bit overweight <laughs> they always yes, choose you out yes and, you know, I mean, I take her for a walk. She goes for a walk every day around the block, which is a big block for a little dog. And um, I throw the ball in the evening, you know, up and down the hallway. She runs back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So she does get exercise. She does go out in the yard. I know that doesn't count. I don't think it's so much her exercise. You think I it's think what it's her she intake. Uh, oh, uh-huh. but there you go. Then you got to, like, limit the one end and then work on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I get a little little fit pup. Well, let's head to the phones before Dr. Becker takes some calls for Dr. Debbie right now. 
Hey, Wendy, how are you? Hi, I'm doing well, thank you. Where are you calling from today? From Viola, California. Where is Viola? Is that northern or southern? Well, kind of towards the middle. Well, it's next to Fresno. Oh, next to Fresno. Okay. Yes. Are you listening online or are you listening on radio? What, are you, what station are you listening um, to? I usually listen online. Oh, okay. Well, thank you so much. How can we help you? I have the gang all here for you. I have three weenie dogs, and um, I love them. I've had them all for um, between 6 and 13 years, and um, they sleep with me in bed. Um, and However, I'm seven months pregnant, and mm-hmm. I have a new baby coming, my first baby. And my dogs like to jump up in the middle of the night if they hear a noise, and they'll start barking, and they'll jump off the bed and run out the doggy door to go see what's going on outside. And then they do this maybe, you know, twice a night or so. And my question is, how do I go about training them not to do that? Because once the baby gets here, they're going to, you know, startle it by barking in the middle of the night or, or, you know, wake it up. Okay. Well, this can be a complicated answer because a lot of this, you have to make some decisions about your future and your dog's future. Um, The first thing is, um, are you going to try to maintain that relationship of having them all sleep in bed with you um, after the baby comes? Okay. No, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna set them up their own doggy spot when the baby gets okay. here. However, okay. I, need, I, I yeah, that's that's something I need to work on too. Th- that's that's yeah, that's definitely number one. And and you've only got a few months to go, so this is this is a very complicated thing to uh, turn around in a short period of time time because there's a lot of factors going on. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is you have unrestrained access for your dogs to go bark to their own delight outside. And barking is delightful for dogs. It, it is a self-rewarding right. behavior. So there's every time they do that, they're having a blast. They're having fun. And they also think they're doing a very important job for your household. So right. the the sleeping situation is one thing. And then this access is going to be the other. So even if we say, put them in another room, put them in kennels, um, they're going to bark and they're going to bark because they've had this pattern of thinking they're doing their job and then enjoying the, the rewards of it is how they feel afterwards. So that's kind of the first thing is training them now to where you want them to sleep and how your expectations are going to be about that. And if that includes kenneling them, and I hope that they are kennel comfortable so that this is isn't going to be a, a big change for them. Um, that's certainly one thing. If you're not going to kennel restrain them and, and confine them, um, then closing off the doggy door and starting that transition, at least at this point, is going to be very important. Because um, we want our dogs to bark when something is, you know, right. upsetting, something startling, but not when, you know, the, the wind is blowing, not when in the, it's raining or someone's walking by your house. So th- that's going to be the challenge. And and you got, as, as you were telling your history, you said weenie dogs. And I was like, oh, this is either going to be about barking or aggression because <laughs> <laughs> they're fun dogs, but they definitely have their little, little, little quirks when it comes to some of these behavioral things. They do. Um, I don't mind if they jump up, you know, but just, just don't start barking until you get out of the doggy door. Then you can bark. You know? Well, you can't. Well, you can't tell them that. That that's that's yeah, not going to be an easy thing. <laughs> so here is some of the things to think about. Number one thing is look at the with this behavior as it's happening, and sometimes there'll be like a pack leader when it comes to barking. There's someone who starts the alert, and everyone else kind of right. joins in, and and then you know realizing that that it is it's a pack behavior that uh, one gets them going, and then they all join in, and it's kind of like a group fun. We need to work on each of them and train them individually, but often I'll focus my efforts on that that leader of of the group. Um, okay. 
so in a lot of that is working on uh, focus and training them to listen and to sit at your command despite the distractions. The other thing, and I mention this because not because I'm into you know punishment or discipline, but for some folks with multiple pets, and especially in a short period of time, it can be hard to work on training unless you get a, a, a private trainer to help you and to change all these behaviors in a short period of time that you may actually look at something like the um, the ultrasonic um, devices for barking. Um, oh. The the bark collars in your situation, I don't really recommend. You've got three dogs. I you know I don't think that's going to be the most helpful, especially because you got all these other factors of them all grouping together. Um, mm-hmm. But I have had some clients that have had success with the ultrasonic deterrence. Um, the problem is some dogs get used to them after time, and you know they may not. It may stop them for a while, and then they become refractory and they'll start barking after they get used to that kind of uh, sound. That uh, is, it doesn't hurt them, but it's it's meant to be a distraction and to irritate them. How, do, how um, does that work? The ultrasonic uh, devices. Is that something they wear on a collar, or is that something I just plug in in the house? It's something you plug in, and it's usually, I don't like it for, like, enclosed areas, like really small areas, but if it's for a room in a house, um, it can be helpful. Yeah, so it basically, um, it'll, it goes off as the dog makes a barking sound, and um, it, it's basically, it would be the equivalent of uh, having a foghorn and blowing it, but not having the whole household wake up. <laughs> oh, I see. Oh, okay. I'll take that into consideration. Thank you. So, I yeah. about that. But by itself, you know, this isn't going to fix it. But with all these other steps, um, you know, I think you could certainly get get some good headway with this. And and I mentioned getting a a trainer um, locally. Um, I do really recommend that because that can help a lot when it comes to a lot of the the dachshund things. They're driven because they think they're the boss of the household. And and they usually are. (laughs) Right. And they have been. They have been. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is, you know, no matter what you do, if you don't have uh, kind of the, the respect of your dogs that you're the boss and they listen to you, if you say, hey, don't do that, get off the furniture, you're only going to have limited success. So that's why a trainer is helpful, not just for the barking aspect, but for really getting kind of control of your herd before your baby comes along. All righty. Wendy, whatever you do, if you're going to start kicking them out of the bedroom and changing their sleeping habits, do it before the baby comes. Start right. now because if you wait until the baby comes, they're going to attribute that negativity to the baby. Oh, yeah. And That's they're going smart. to assume that, mm-hmm. God, I'm kicked out of the room. Look at that baby's here. And now I'm kicked out. I don't like that baby. But if you start now yeah. before the baby comes, then they won't okay. associate it with the baby. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to do that now. And, and, and the trick is I'm supposed to just like kick them off the bed and not let them climb on the bed and and just let them because i have one she likes to whine and sit there and cry if i don't let her on the bed so i have to just let her do that until she's tired of it right yeah and, and recognize that the bed is the bed but the furniture is the furniture and in the, in the dog's mind they don't see those as different things so mm-hmm. uh, it can be a real household adjustment to get an animal who's accustomed and expects to sleep on furniture to not be allowed and not to be permitted on that so um, okay. Be ready. <laughs> okay, I know I'm in for it. I know, I know. Thank you for your call, Wendy. Hopefully it'll be one of those picturesque scenes where you see the baby and the dog just <laughs> hanging out and sleeping together. And the kid will obviously grow up knowing that animals are awesome. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. 
Hi, it's Alan Cable with today's dog tip. Last time we talked about picking a smart puppy out by using his attention span. That is, how long can he focus on one thing before becoming distracted? The longer, the better. If you've got your eye on a particular dog or puppy, here's a couple of other tests you can do that go a little bit further than just measuring how long a dog can focus. Usually a puppy under four months that can focus on any one thing for longer than 10, 15 seconds is pretty smart. Now that you've established that the dog you're interested in can do that, Here's a couple of other little tests. Have somebody hold him on a leash and right in front of his face, take a dog treat and put it under a coffee can or a soup can. A smart dog will know right away that the treat is still there even though he can't see it. Knock the can over with his nose or paw and go at it. Just so you know, we put my uncle through this test. He ate the can. If the dog you want completes the coffee can test successfully, here's another one you can do to take it a step further. Now with your friend holding the dog on a leash, take the treat, show it to the dog, then put Put your hands behind your back and make two fists so that the treat is now concealed. Now put the two fists back in front and let the puppy or dog pick which hand your treat is in. Now, the last part of this test is what separates Beethoven from the idiots that are always trying to catch him in the movie. And I'll just tell you, most likely, if the dog is younger than four months, he or she probably won't be able to complete this part of the test. Well, what the heck, give it a whirl anyway. Same thing, hands behind your back, but drop the treat behind you, then bring both of your closed hands in front of you again. Most likely, the dog's going to sniff both of your hands. Then you can open both of them up to reveal the treat is gone. Where'd it go? A real smart dog is going to put it together. Or he's going to use his nose to search for the treat. And an extremely intelligent dog is going to want to walk behind you to get the treat that he knows is there. This is Abstract Thought for a Dog and the cast of Jersey Shore. Next time, we'll talk about what a dog needs to be well-adjusted, happy, and secure. And believe it or not, love isn't number one. Need a fix of the good stuff? Get more Animal Radio with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. That's 800-785-1673. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Hi, Jerry. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? Very good. Where are you calling from today? I'm from West Virginia. What city? It's Charleston. Are you listening on WSCW? You guys, I love you out there. Thank you so much. I love your southern draw. I I just get so tickled with the southern draw. But I know you're calling about turtles, right? Right. What's going on? Well, my daughter got this little turtle. It was not bigger than, well, it was a little bit bigger than a quarter when she first got it. Okay, but we've had it for like five years now. And it's now probably about the size of a child's baseball mitt. 
Okay. Wow. Okay. It's grown. Wow. grown. It's really grown. And the problem is, is that my daughter has gotten a back problem where she's having a hard time getting this huge tank that it's in cleaned. Okay. Okay. And what I wanted to know is if there's any way that it can be released without, I mean, I, I mean, we'll keep it and figure out something. But I, what I wanted to know is if they can be released safely. Um, you know, okay. she's been with us for a long time. <laughs> Sure. Now, the thing I'll tell you is the red-eared slider, while it is found, you know, out in the wild and in much of the country, um, it increasingly has become what we call an invasive species. So people take their pet sliders and they get to a point where they can't manage them and they release them into the wild. And they actually can be a huge problem impacting other wildlife, whether it be plant or fish species, species, um, or other, um, animals competing for the same food source. So we, we really don't recommend that. Um, and not only that, but there's also diseases we can introduce that might be present in captivity that we can bring to those wild um, turtles. So I, I don't recommend that. What I would say is, you know, if it's no longer possible to keep this turtle in your house, um, you know, I would certainly look into adopting it. Um, yeah, there are, yeah, and you can actually check with your, um, if you check for local herpetological societies, there's a lot of, uh, you know, these, believe it or not, there's a lot of reptile lover groups out there. We have have them out in my Vegas area, and you can get some good um, direction from those individuals on who might um, be able to take the turtle um, or adopt it. Um, so um, you know, they, well, they have special needs. So yeah, what about okay? It's in this a big aquarium, but what can they can they be put in um, like a tote or something that's not as heavy or do they just, I mean, I didn't know if that kind of plastic would hurt the turtle or, you know. You I, said I, in a tote? A tote, like, yeah, you know, like a big tote, a big plastic tote, and it would have more like room. Like a storage because tote. I, I, okay. I don't know if they could, can they get out, I mean, are they, they're not all water, are they? I mean, they don't have to be in the water all the time, do they? Not all the time, but they do need a good amount of water um, yeah. to swim, to feed in, uh, right. you know, to soil in, and then also they'll have to have some area to get out and kind of dry out at times. So, in my experience, I find that aquariums are the the safest way to do that yeah. because we often um, the plastics don't hold up well. Um, yeah. Also, the height of that does matter because these guys can climb out of their enclosure. Yeah. So you want to make sure you have um, a proper fitting lid with a screen top. And we can't forget that in captivity. We have to meet nature's, um, uh, you know, creation. So we have to provide UV light as well as a heat source. And plastic right. is not going to survive really well with that. Yeah. So um, your, your glass enclosures are going to be the best way you can do that um, and contain, you know, the water and the soiling and all of that. Okay. So, and what was the name of the, the group, Herb, what was it that you called the... Herp, I would just uh, say herpetological societies. So if you look um, under like herp uh, fanciers, and it okay. basically means um, folks that you know enjoy uh, reptiles of all different sorts. Okay. Well, we love to too. I mean, we. But I mean, just Tonya's getting to where she can't. You know, it's hard for her to clean the tank and stuff. So, but anyway, I sure appreciate your help. Okay. And well, good I luck love with that program. Well, I absolutely love it. 
Well, thank you so much for listening there in Charleston, West Virginia. We appreciate that. Jerry, call back if you have any further questions. I yeah, will. we had um, on what was it a couple of weeks ago? We had on the uh, president of the African. Who was it? Lisa, Lisa with the Turtles, Turtle Society, Society. Mm-hmm. and that she spends a lot of time taking care of adopted turtles or yeah, turtles rehoming, rehoming them, them, people so. that have passed away and looking for places for their turtles. Yes, yeah. it's funny that she called because this week we've had a kind of at my hospital we've had a rash of turtles and tortoises really being injured, uh, chewed on by dogs, really um, being run over by cars in the driveway, things like that. Oh. So, you know, if you do take on one of these pets, you know, you, you have to be aware of their environmental needs and. And really make sure you have a safe home. For they them. live a long time, don't they? They do. And, you know, sliders can live up to, you know, 30, 40 years. Um, and they can get quite sizable, you know, up to, you know, 20 centimeters. So they can get pretty darn big. And, and they can be a bit aggressive, too. So, really? You know, okay. yeah. Aggressive? So you have like, to watch your... Um, just meaning I have one that comes in. I think I talked about her before. She lays eggs every year. And uh, she'll take your fingertip if you get it close. <laughs> I'm pretty quick, so yeah. I, I get out of the way. Oh, wow. Alan Cable with today's amazing sweet love story watch <laughs> it goes. Owen's getting a little kiss from his dog he's seven years old this is a story of how one little boy and a dog changed each other's lives Owen has an illness that causes his muscles to constantly be tense so it's very difficult for him to move around and do simple things it's made him very shy and withdrawn well some folks were searching for someone to adopt a dog named Hachi he's a big Italian shepherd that only has three legs Hachi got hit by a train and then came to us Owen says it was a magical meeting. First day I met him, put his head on my lap, and that's what happened. Owen's family says he's a different kid with Hachi there. Much more outgoing. I'm really happy. Everything changed my life. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. That's 800-785-1673. This is Glenn Close on Animal Radio, urging you to spay or neuter your pet. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Lori Brooks. If you're a dog lover, you know that dealing with animal illnesses and disease it can be pretty discouraging when you're thinking about, gee, what kind of pet should I get? Well, luckily, the website PetBreeds.com thought about this, and they did some data gathering, and they put out a list of 33 dog breeds that either have a clean health record or are associated with only one, two, or three health problems at the most. And at the top of this list, list. I was amazed. Seven dog breeds that have no major or minor health concerns at all. 
So here's the top seven. At number seven is the Harrier. Six is the Canaan dog. Five is the Polish Lowland Sheepdog. Actually, these have no health problems at all. Number four on the list of the top seven are the Pharaoh Hound. Coming in at number three, the Redbone Coon Hound. Second on the list, German Pincher. And the healthiest and most popular breed of healthy dog in America is the Saluki. Now the bad news, uh, America's favorite dog breed, the Labrador Retriever, they say prone to six major health concerns and four minor health problems, including hip dysplasia, gastric torsion, muscular dystrophy, retinal dysplasia, and cataracts. And here is a story dedicated to all of the TV remotes that many of us have lost. I know I've lost quite a few, but apparently it is not just remotes that are being lost and destroyed. And I am not alone in this problem. There's actually a study out that says American pets have bitten, chewed, damaged, or destroyed at least 8 million electronic devices, collectively that is. All that damage caused an estimated $3 billion in repairs and replacements. Costs. Research by the protection plan provider called Square Trade found one third of the damaged devices were smartphones. Two thirds of the incidents, they say, happened while the pet was not being supervised, of course. And interestingly, male pets, they say, are 50% more likely than female pets to damage electronic devices. So I'm trusting Lucy when I leave the room, not Roro. I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. Hi, this is Justin Silver from CBS's Dogs in the City here on Animal Radio. Just reminding you to always stay new to your pets. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. We're going to head back to the phones in just a couple of seconds for more calls for Dr. Debbie and Joey Villani. But first, let's visit with Dr. Becker, Animal Radio veterinary correspondent extraordinaire. How are you doing today? Hello, my friend. We're talking to you on the phone today. Are you, uh, are you in Idaho? Yes. One of those, one of those new computer issues. Oh, computer issues. Okay, <laughs> I understand that. Well, we wanted to get you on the phone because the the topic that you had has been engaging ever since the show started today. Things vets know, owners worry too little about. And uh, so, what are the things that really should uh, keep us up at night that don't? You know, I love this topic, and that's why I proposed it because some things pet owners worry too much about, and that's a whole nother thing. Like. Uh, you know, grain in the in the pet's diet and dry nose, noses, and but there's six things that I think of that as a veterinarian, and you know, it's important to know what you really should worry about. And the first thing is a cat that hasn't eaten in 24 hours. Now we have five dogs and three cats. If one of our dogs doesn't eat, which one of them didn't eat today, I'm not worried about it. It's probably dietary indiscretion. Uh, you know, as long as they're not vomiting or explosive diarrhea or really depressed, they're just not wanting to eat. That happens fairly often. No, no worries. Now, a cat, if a cat hasn't eaten in 24 hours, if they skip two meals, you need to worry about it. Oh. Uh, when they don't eat, they can get sick very fast. And so I always say, listen, if your cat missed two meals, you at least need to call a veterinarian. The, going, staying on the theme of cats is the old cat statue. So your cat's not grooming itself. 
you notice it's not wanting to use the litter box. It might not want to be climbing the cat tree. And all those are, uh, can be signs of arthritis, and this is a condition that affects most, not some, most older cats. And, uh, whereas if a dog, you know, doesn't rise to its feet, doesn't want to play, has difficulty jumping in the car, uh, stands up with his front feet first and then has difficulty getting its back feet, uh, you know, we always, most pet owners want to take them in and get them relief from this so they can enjoy a high quality of life. Well, it's not fair to cats to let them suffer with this painful medication or painful condition when there's a lot of new medications out there that can stop the pain and start the movement again. So now they can groom themselves and get in the litter box and climb and have, uh, have enjoyment. The third thing is uh, skin problems. Now, the number one reason people take pets to the vet are skin problems, but it seems like every time I practice, somebody comes in and they see a skin issue, or they well, it doesn't have very many fleas, or, you know, it's really not that much of a problem in our area, or these ears have been worse before, and, you know, like me, I got bit by a hornet yesterday, uh, and oh, wow. uh, it doesn't matter if you're getting bit by a hornet or a mosquito, it doesn't feel good, uh, and that's one bite, you know. I wanted to tell everybody yesterday about getting bitten. Well, imagine being covered with fleas Oof. and getting bitten all the time, or being in a place where you're getting bitten by mosquitoes all the time, or mm. having skin that looks like it's been gone over with a flamethrower, or your ears are infected and raw and filled with pus, so... You know, itching, licking, scratching pets, they deserve an accurate diagnosis and an effective treatment plan. And uh, number four is fat cats and pudgy pooches. You oh, know. yeah. We knew that was on the list. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about this forever. And, and just know, like, you're going to save a lot of money without shortchanging your pet if you keep them at or near their ideal body weight. Uh, they're going to be a lot more active, and you're going add, to uh, add years to their life. Number five, increased water consumption or urination. And this is a red flag for many problems in dogs and cats, and it can range from a metabolic problem like diabetes to kidney failure. So notice how often you have to fill your, your pet's water dish or fountain. Uh, notice if they're going to get a drink more often. Notice if they're needing to be let out to go to the bathroom more often. And there's a new uh, test, a really sensitive test for kidney disease that's also available from your veterinarian that catches renal disease in its earliest phase. Uh, previously, before this test, we had to wait until about 75% of the kidney function was gone before you could detect problems. So this is like a warning light that goes off, uh, you know, one of those things that, that have your car checked out. It's kind of the same thing. Okay. And the last thing is bad breath. Uh, uh, again, this person's corner check in our house, I was showing her, I said, I don't expect you to do this when we're gone, but we brush our dog's teeth every day. We use a dental seal at once a week, and my crazy wife, who I've told you before, even flosses their teeth about once a month. I'm not suggesting that people do that because they're not going to do it, but they do need to use some kind of an edible toothbrush. Uh, greenies are great. There's dental diets. Milk Run has a new brushing chew, uh, those CET Hextra chews that are available from, from Verbac. Do those really work? Those work incredibly well. Yeah, those, if I had to pick one of those that was my favorite, it's that CET Hextra Chew. And the, the reason, I like greenies, but they, they get consumed awfully fast. The milk bone brushing chew lasts longer, which I like. And then the CET Hextra Chew has chlorhexidine in it, which is a really good dental astringent. And, and so they, have, they like the taste of it, too, so they just chew and chew and chew and chew and chew. And so this whole mouth is bathed with saliva mixed with chlorhexidine and so 
Mm-mm. It's just it, those, those are just about as good as brushing. When you look at the studies like Milkbone uh, Brushing Chews, they have some great data out, Greenies do, that it's just about the same benefit as brushing. So yeah, well, you know, the whole brushing thing is a bone of contention because both you and uh, Dr. Debbie here will tell me brush every day, uh, but neither of you do. Well, I, well, I don't, but my wife does. <laughs> Your wife does it, okay. No, I don't. I can honestly tell you I, I, have, I do it when she's gone, but I can honestly say she does it every day. And nobody except my wife. I've never met anybody else that flosses their dog's teeth. Good for her. She is awesome. You know what? She deserves an award for that. Well, as usual, we run out of time. So much information we'll put up all over the website at AnimalRadio.com. Dr. Marty Becker, thanks so much. We'll talk to you again Thank soon. You. Blessings. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Vinny Penn coming at you again on Animal Radio with a party animal segment. I saw on the telephone pole at the end of my street the other day a missing pet flyer. We've discussed flyers here in the past. The catch with this one is they had drawn the picture of the cat missing. It was a pencil drawing. Now that one, you're not going to really be able to tell. I, I don't know. It didn't look any different than any other millions of cats you see out on the show. Well, you don't see as many these days as stray cats as you did when I was a kid uh, back in the 70s and 80s. But um, they didn't really look any different. Two, it told me that you're drawing the picture of this cat that you never took one of your cat. So how much could you have possibly loved it if you didn't have a picture to photocopy for the flyer now that Smitten's is missing. I'm not even going to get into the whole Smittens thing. But how much could you have loved to Maybe Smittens ran away, one, because he never took a damn picture of him. And two, because he named him Smittens. Penny Pen, Party Animal, Animal Radio. If you're a diabetic, we have great news. You can end the painful finger sticks with a new CGM. Plus, they may be covered by Medicare, Medicaid, or private insurance. If you test and inject daily, you may qualify. Call U.S. Med now to learn more. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. That's 800-785-1673. Hello, this is Jane Goodall on Animal Radio. And I just like everybody to realize that each day you live, you make some difference on the planet and you can choose what kind of difference you're going to make and hopefully every day you'll try to make the world a little bit better for people for animals and for the environment you're listening to animal radio call the dream team now with the free animal radio app for iphone and android hey john how are you doing today hey i'm good thanks for uh taking the call what's going on uh, just a quick question uh, my i have a 10 year old dog She's got a, a little growth a couple of weeks back that looks like a little sty or a wart or something on her left lower eyelid, but it doesn't interfere with her blinking or anything like that. I'm just worried, wondering if that's something I need to check out. Yeah. Now, what kind of doggie? I'm sorry. She's a, a mutt from the pound, and I'm told okay. she's cowdy mix. Okay. And is the lump, is it on the inside of the eye, on the outside? What what uh, area coming in it's from the, the nose outside. to the side? 
On the outside, okay. The the good majority of t- of little masses along a dog's eyelid, they tend to be benign growths. Um, okay. And of those, they most commonly are a type called a meibomian gland tumor. So that's by far the, the biggest uh, cause of these type of things. So those type of things, not to say they can't cause a problem, um, and sometimes they can actually get pretty big. Um, they'll kind of even get a color, cauliflower-like growth off of them, and they can rub on the eye. So um, some of these really can cause ulcers in the eye or discomfort. So um, the treatment of those, um, first I'd say, you know, get a look at it. If you'd hold it up to the mic, I can, you know, try to <laughs> get a picture of things. Um, but, uh, you know, getting a, a vet's eye on it is a big thing because sometimes there are types of lumps and bumps that get us a little bit more excited if they're pigmented kind of a black color sometimes that gets us a little bit more concerned because we can get melanoma a more serious tumor that occurs on the eyelid Um, and then some types can be a little bit more destructive to the area um, like squamous cell carcinoma Um, you know people are aware of that because of the sun related issues so that for dogs too can occur on the eyelids so um, that's my argument would they would they Zap it off and, and test Sometimes. it, or what would they? Yeah, so when we have an eyelid tumor, pretty much um, we have to remove those type of things with a pet under anesthesia. And I get that question all the time. Can you do it with my pet awake? No, not going to happen. <laughs> not many dogs will sit for that. So th- from there, but yes, we can do a couple things. We can, if it's root large and it goes into the lid, we might do kind of like a V-shaped wedge. So we take out a little wedge of the eyelid and sew things back up. Um, if it's small and doesn't seem to go very deep, then yes, we can um, kind of cauterize that either with um, a, an electrocautery. At my office, we have a laser that we use, and that helps to kind of uh, ablate the tissue or just kind of um, destroy it on the surface. So that technique can be used for some of the smaller um, or less serious ones. If we're worried that it's a more serious tumor, we're going to probably go for that V-wedge because we want to get nice, clean margins and, and solve that problem for you know the long haul. Thanks for the uh, information. I sure appreciate it. Thanks for the call, John. Hello, everyone. It's Robert Semro, your Pet World Insider, here with this week's Animal Radio List, five things to know about microchipping your pet. There's nothing more heartbreaking than when a pet goes missing. You can't call them on their cell phone or ping their tablet. No, it's a massive panic time as you try to remember everything you did or didn't do to help them to have the best chance of getting home. We put up signs, we send out social media requests for help, and in the end, we pray for the safety and well-being of our pet. We also promise ourselves and anyone listening that if we can be reunited with them, we'll make sure we do everything to ensure that this never happens again. Well, let's start today before this happens. Take an updated picture of your pet, make notes, and do one of the best things that you can do for your pet. Get them microchipped. This can dramatically increase the chances that you are reunited with your pet. And as a reminder, and to ease some fears, I'm going to share some must-know things about microchipping. To begin with, the microchip is about the size of a grain of rice. It's inserted using a needle that quickly implants the chip under the skin. Most pets never even know it's there or what occurred. The microchip emits a radio frequency to a compatible chip reader. And there are different places to get one in different types as well. But most veterinary offices and clinics offer microchipping services and are aware of what's being used in your local area. Next, and this is the most important thing once they've been chipped, make sure it's working. It's critical to have it tested and tested on a regular basis. The chip can migrate and it's important to note that not all chip readers can read all chips. 
So check with your local shelter to see if their chip reader can read the chip that's inserted into your pet. Additionally, make sure that you filled out all of the information associated with the chip. It's important to update your information that the chip is tied to. If you move, update your new address and contact information. Next, a microchip is not a GPS system. It has a code assigned to it and is in a passive mode, meaning that it only gives the information when asked for it as a compatible microchip reader passes over it. So don't think this is going to tell you where your pet is. If that's what you need, there are other products on the market that do provide GPS information. And finally, and there's always so much more to know about these things, but this is one that must be said. Having a microchip doesn't replace the need for you to have ID tags. ID tags are the first chance in the recovery of a pet. Anyone can read an ID tag, assuming it's in good shape. So if you have chipped your pet, add a note to check the info and the chip to make sure that they're still working. And if you haven't, remember microchipping increases the chances that you and your pet will be reunited. Share your pet microchipping tips on our Animal Radio Facebook page. Well, it has flown by once again. I say it every week, but it is so true this week. It seems like we just started. Remember, if you didn't get through for your questions today, you can ask your questions directly from the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Uh, Download it now. It's a free download. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Have a good one, guys. This is Animal Radio Network.